G'day, podcast listeners. Just a quick clout update. Reviews are flying in thick and fast, increasing the podcast's clout. So thank you for all of you who have left a review. If you haven't left a review, jump on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and just say how great it is so that we have more clout so we can get guests with bigger profiles that also have clout. Bringing you to Apple Podcasts Canada with a review left on the Canadian version of the Apple Podcasts site. Landon Before Time says... This podcast teaches critical thinking in an accepting space. Awesome to hear. They do a really good job at framing each and every school of thought or idea so that you're never contextually lost. As far as podcasts go, this one screams to the top of my list. Wow, screams. That's that's ascending quickly. It's by the sounds of it. In a world of media and polarized perspectives, it couldn't be more needed. Thanks dearly for your production. No Landon before time. Thank you dearly for that awesome review that summarizes the podcast better than I can. I'm always very humbled to hear that this podcast is at the top of your listening list. Even I'm just stoked to make the podcast listening list for anybody because there's a crap ton of good podcasts out there from more famous and far more intelligent people than I. So I'm humbled to all of you listening to the show and to those of you who left reviews helping our quest for clout. If you aren't yet following us on Instagram, you can head over to Instagram, send me a DM. I generally get back to pretty much everybody. And you can follow along the show there and you can see live podcasts. When we do live podcasts, you can engage with the process there. Because as I dive into various different topics and subject matter, you, my dear friends of the show, are the ones that are going to point me down different rabbit holes. Because as I go down a rabbit hole, I'll just kind of keep going. So with your help, you can point me, direct me, introduce me to different people, ideas you'd love to hear. So if there's an idea that you've heard on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and it triggers you and you want to understand it more, send it my way. We'll get them on the show and we'll explore some controversial ideas together. Enjoy the episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Whoa, guys on live on Instagram, you don't know. You don't know the battle. I was on YouTube deep trying to work out Zoom and and we we got there in the end. So welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide us and place them back into context, which is always a person. The context is a person. My name's Conrad. And if you're a friend of the show, if you're a friend of the show, you will realize that this is not a passive listen but a practice, a practice and opportunity for us, you and me, to enter into a new space you don't often see too much around in 2021, a space beyond the agree and disagree divide, beyond the us versus them. And if you're a new friend of the show, if this is the first episode you're listening to, welcome. It's very great to have you here. Thanks for joining us and buckle up, buckle up those trigger pants because if you you enjoy this episode and you're like, wow, what a great episode. I really agree with everything. I can't guarantee you'll enjoy the next one because you might disagree with the opinion that comes across in the next episode and sitting with and listening to an idea you disagree with is not very comfortable. Uh, But over time, I think you'll grow to appreciate that challenge and that practice. So with that disclaimer, usual disclaimer out of the way, 
I'll introduce the clickbait and then I'll introduce new friend of the show. So the clickbait is, and this is going to lead some people astray, I hope, because that's what clickbait is all about. Clickbait is a church pastor's life of gay conversion therapy. Ah, what? Is he a church pastor doing gay conversion therapy? I don't know. What is it? Well, clickbait hopefully will lead you well astray. If it hasn't, I've I've not done my job properly. Let me introduce a new friend of the show, a new friend, Anthony Venn Brown. Anthony, thanks for joining me. Is it Anthony or Tony? You know what? Um, so you've read the book. So in that, I'm Tony. I was always known as Tony. I had such a life change that I felt that I wasn't the same person anymore. So I switched back to my original name, Anthony. So everyone knows me as Anthony today. Introduce yourself then. If if we were to just, you're pretty close to Newcastle, Australia, my hometown. If we're if you're if you're visiting uh, Newcastle Bar Beach and we're just walking along, we run into each other. I'm like, oh, g'day, mate. My name's Conrad, and you go, oh, I'm Anthony. Introduce yourself, surface level introduction. Okay. Um. So, oh, hi, Conrad. Uh, nice to meet you. I um, you know, I've had a pretty interesting life. Um, I used to be a very high-profile Pentecostal preacher, preaching all, yeah, the mega churches around Australia, like Hillsong and and the others. Um, and uh, but I had a problem. My problem, well, I thought it was my problem, and the problem was that um, I was gay, which I discovered in my teenage years. And I'd spent twenty-two years trying to change everything. You know, I'd been through. Um, so I'd gone to psychiatrist, I'd gone through exorcisms, I was married for 16 years, and um, then um, um, I fell in love with a man. And that wasn't supposed to happen. And that's where the shit hit the fan. Well, that is quite the introduction, Anthony. I feel like I know you very well. <laughs> let's Let's go grab a coffee and continue talking. So... Was what it too you, much information? You, I, well, it's interesting information. I think we're, we're, we're already friends now. So right. what, I, I guess, uh, trivial stuff, what is, it, what is it that you're doing with yourself now? Ah, now I'm changing the world and saving lives. Oh, important yeah. work. How, how are you doing that? Very important work. So, um, you know, what I uh, realized um, uh, was that, the real enemy is ignorance. It's not individuals, it's not churches, it's not church leaders, it's not ex-gay leaders or conversion therapy practitioners. The enemy is ignorance. And what we need to do is we need to focus on changing the ignorance, not attacking <laughs> the individuals. So um, I'm very much about reaching out and having dialogue. There's a lot of, there are a lot of similarities about what we do and what you're doing, you know having a space where people can talk respectfully, openly, honestly, safely, um, and entertain the possibility of some new ideas and some new concepts. So I work with, um, with churches, with um, Christian organisations, Christian leaders, um, and also individuals which are experiencing some faith sexuality conflict. Mm. What's the ignorance, I guess, you're shedding some light on? I'm shedding uh, um, light on the, the, the lack of understanding about sexual orientation, mm-hmm. that it, it, is a, it is a natural um, it is a natural part of the diversity of human sexuality. 
same-sex orientation, bisexuality, and also gender identity, you know, that there are some that are transgender, there are some that are gender diverse, as there are some that are gender fluid. You know, we have more understanding of these things and more research is being done, but of course, in some circles, they don't want to look at that research or they don't want to acknowledge the truth of what has been, or what we know through our own personal life experience. Yeah. Well, you've i've uh i've got to confess something to you anthony um oh, as i've just great. met you and hearing and hearing you talk uh i've i've been judging and maybe some friends of the show <gasps> new friends old friends oh. they've been doing some judging as well but cool. you've you've just said that you know we'll have an open honest conversation so i'm going to be honest with you uh anthony i'm going to i'm going to confess my judgments to you and then you can correct the ignorance with which my judgments come from how does that sound I'm, I was hoping you would do this with me. I've listened to your other podcasts and I thought, <laughs> I, hope, I hope Conrad judges me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I want to see I'm what gonna... it is. <laughs> well, well, I sometimes it's harder than others, um, right. you know, but, but here's, here's what I've kind of come up with. I'm trying to channel like what, what some people might okay. think and you occupy of, so the clickbait, if, if people, as you're listening, you're going, Okay, a church pastor's life of gay conversion therapy. And I think someone in the comments went, oof, this one's going to be hard to listen to. And I've seen their comments and I'm like, oh, I feel like, I feel like they might have interpreted it as you being a pastor uh, performing gay conversion therapy or practicing gay conversion therapy. And I'm like, aha, I've been misled by the clickbait. Yes, win. Chalk one up for Ideas Digest. Um, <laughs> And so I was thinking, you, you occupy this space between worlds <clears throat> from a religious perspective and the LGBT community that you've become a part of and familiar with, and you're trying to bridge those, those two worlds, it seems like. So that's where my judgments have kind of come from. I'm channeling right now, there's a big, um, well, there's always the religious pushback against gay marriage and the passing of the gay conversion therapy bill, which is part of what we may, we may talk about today. We'll see. We've got a lot, we've got a lot to talk about, but here's my judgments I've kind of come up with. Uh, And we've already debunked the first one. It was an easy one. I was going to say, you're a preacher who converts people from being gay, but I'll let you answer. I think you've already answered this one. No way. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, maybe the opposite. Um, Okay. So some, some might have, uh, some might say, and it's often maybe not explicit judgment. Maybe it's an implicit one. People might be thinking, Anthony, sexuality is a choice. You chose to be gay. Right. You want me to respond to that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, the person who says that needs to think through what they just said. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because if you think about this logically, why would you choose to be discriminated against, possibly be, be rejected by your family and friends? Why would you why would you place this cell yourself in these vulnerable situations and sometimes very hurtful and painful situations? Hmm. People who choose something like that, that this is not possible. People do not choose. Uh, and you just need to ask any gay or lesbian person, did you, when did you choose to become gay or lesbian? And yeah, and, and you'll find out. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony. So, when did you choose to become gay or lesbian? 
I did not choose to become gay on I've always been that way. My only choice was to accept myself. Hmm. So they might then follow and go, okay, I know uh, being gay is not a choice, but you're a Christian and it's outlined in the Bible. You know, Paul says a few things, it's an abomination, all that kind of stuff. Anthony, you you chose not to follow God's instructions because, okay, I understand you're gay, but now you can follow God's instructions and not be in a relationship or not, quote-unquote, practice or participate in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. Yes, it's terrible, isn't it? You know, it's so evil to fall in love, so evil to want to spend the rest of your life with somebody in a loving, committed relationship, those things are such an abomination. No wonder. <laughs> there are no Bible verses that tell us that, of course, you know, that uh, when people are using the Bible to speak against um, uh, LGBT, and by that I mean lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people, um, when they're using those Bible verses, to um, say that, you know, we cannot love, we cannot have a relationship. Um, that's really what they're saying. But those Bible verses need to be looked at in the light of the historical context, the cultural context, the original languages. And there are only six passages. And when you look at them in the things that I just mentioned, a lot of those things, you find that actually the interpretation that people have with the English translation today um, are incorrect. And, and that the word homosexual never actually appeared in the Bible till 1946. Hmm, okay. That's a interesting. People might be listening, oh, I've never heard that. Get your, get your oh, fact yeah. checking out if, if you aren't familiar with that. Um, so one more they might have. Yeah. And I think this comes on the the heels of the reaction that is seen from the progression of LGBTQ rights and recognition with equal with with marriage equality, and now the common passage of the conversion therapy bill. I think it passed in Queensland, and then it just passed in Victoria. And, re- and Christian groups in general, like the Australian Christian Lobby, they've arced up big time. And the, and the story seems, and the judgment seems to be this. It's a, it, they seem to be saying, Anthony, you hate religion and you want to use the government to destroy our religious freedoms through this act. You want us to stop praying and you're trying to destroy religion with the, perhaps they might even go as far as to say, with the quote, gay agenda. You're part of the gay agenda, Anthony, and you're trying to destroy religious freedom. Yes, now there would be some people within our community that they would love that <laughs> because relig- religion has been incredibly cruel to them. Um, but they're in the minority. So, you know, we, the, generally speaking, what, what, the, what our agenda is is about anti-discrimination and acceptance and tolerance uh, and equality. That, that's really what it's all about. Um, but of course, you know, there are those within uh, conservative Christianity um, which see this as a threat um, to their existence. But, you know, if you talk to the average, if you talk to the average gay or lesbian person and you say, is your agenda 
to destroy the church or, you know, to not let, to stop them from preaching or, you know, all this sort of stuff. Go, no, no, I, I just want to live a, a fulfilling life and not be sacked from my job and be able to get a promotion and to fall in love and to get engaged and to have children. And yeah, this is what I want. <laughs> and if we ask you that question, Anthony, and say, are you trying to destroy religion? Is that what you're trying to do? Oh, of course not. I think, you know, that that people, that people of faith, there are some wonderful people of faith and there are some absolute assholes. <laughs> Can I say that on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll just put the little. I just put the little either. Oh um, yeah, okay. yeah. And 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 you know, and 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 I'm, I'm going to tell you that within our community, there are some people that I don't like very much. <laughs> they're very aggressive. They're very militant. They're very angry. And 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 we've got to say that a lot of that is justified. Um, so within our families, we have relatives. <laughs> We might not agree with, we might approach things differently, but that's not the majority. That's not the majority. And so you mentioned the Australian Christian lobby who tend to feel that they speak on behalf of Christianity in Australia, but they don't. They speak for a minority within Christianity. And there are lots of churches which are embracing of LGBT people, um, you know, yeah, and affirming, you know, that people, churches go on a journey from being anti-gay to being, oh, oh, well, we're not anti-gay, yeah, well, we, we, we welcome people, you know, we welcome you, but, you know, you've got to change, or then the next step might be, well, we don't even welcome you, we accept you, we, we accept you, but <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't serve I- coffee, you can't, you can't run a home group, you can't lead the singing, you can't be in the choir, because mm. you're in a homosexual or same-sex relationship, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so then the, the final assumption then people might throw at you saying, okay, well, you used to be a pastor. You're not anymore. You accepted your sexuality, so you mustn't be a Christian anymore. Well, that, that's, that would be a wonderful judgment of theirs, wouldn't it? Because they would not really know about my life journey. They probably have not read a life about learning or <laughs> they had read that, you know, that that it's interesting that, you know, we all, and I've listened to a number of your podcasts and, you know, that some of those speakers that you, you've got, many of them talk about the journey of faith, you know, that it's it's no longer a black and white thing for us, you know, that, you know, this is what exactly what the scripture says and this is exactly what I believe. Um, so in some people's books, I could be still a Christian. In other people's books, I've gone to the dark side. <laughs> and in your but, book? And in my book, I am very much at peace. I'm very much at peace with my beliefs, with my relationship with God, um, with, yeah, very, 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 very resolved. I love living in the mystery. That's one thing I love, Conrad. So... It, this has been probably a Ideas Digest first. I have read your book, Anthony. You know, we, we were chatting. You said, well, I think it would be good if you read the book. And I, and normally I don't read. I've, I've read, uh, I had another guest and I kind of skimmed his book to kind of understand it. But I, but I often found it's like, oh, then I might lead the conversation too much. And I want to leave mm. it as open for the direction you want to take this, Anthony, as possible. But 
under your recommendation, I read your book, and it's it's I mean it's a challenging experience to hear your life's journey, um, and how some of the difficult circumstances you've been through. And as I was reading, a different world. Like I grew up in Newcastle, you grew up in and around that area as well. But the world you describe of like 30 or 40 years ago is for me, I'm like, holy crap, like that, like, is that really what Australia was like for people like you um, on your path and your journey going in and out of religion and then the gay community? I guess as I'm reading that, I, like I'm, I'm following your journey right. from beginning to end. But the question I, I guess I want to ask is, what is this story about as you write it? Because people might read it and they might go, okay, this is the story of a person who struggled with their sexuality, struggled to accept their sexuality. Uh, they were a pastor and now ultimately they're not. So it's a, they might look at it and go, it's a story, Anthony, about sexuality. But that, I guess my question for you is, what is this story about as you're, as you're writing it, as you see it? Mm, interesting question. I think it should be said for those who are listening today that um, this was not my idea to write the book. Um, and uh, you may not, yeah, so, so um, there's a point where um, I was at a, um, uh, a, a conference at, at the Mayan sacred sites in Chichen Itza, where the big pyramid is, you know, where the, the mines were. And I was there at this, and I had just begun to resolve my faith and my sexuality. Of course, like for six years after I came out, I couldn't even think about it. I'd go into a panic attack. And, um, and I was in a swimming pool, and um, I was chatting with this guy who had come back into Catholicism. He was a straight guy, but he was talking about how he'd come back into Catholicism and his spirituality. And while he was talking, like, I sort of, like, drifted off into another space. And um, you know how they say, like, before you die, your, your whole life flashes before you? Well, that's what was happening to me. And But it's not just all flashing before me. It was like all these pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that had been, you know, spattered all over the table had suddenly come back into place and suddenly, oh, my God, my life makes sense. And I was told these things. Did I hear an audible voice? No. Um, was it clear? Yes. <laughs> and I can remember the exact words and they were this, Conrad. Tell your story. Be completely honest. It will help lots of people. And don't worry about a publisher, I'll organise everything. So I just did what I was told. I had no plans to be an author. I had no plans to do what I'm doing today. I just told my story as honestly as I could. And so many of the emails I get from readers, that's in the first paragraph thank you for your honesty <laughs> of course I tell everything so the journey is 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 just about this is the struggle that I went through 
And I think it's a miracle I'm still alive today to tell the story because um, there were several points I could have exited. Um, and here I am, um, yeah, just doing this today um, and, and very grateful to be living a life of purpose and meaning. And without trying to snapshot it too much, as you're talking about your journey, I guess... How, where did your journey begin and what were the stages, I guess, you went through ultimately to becoming to a point where you accepted your sexuality and began to move into a space where religion and God could still be a part of that? Mm. So it, it began from in high school. Like, you know, when, when, when do people become aware of their sexuality? Well, you know, when boys start noticing girls or girls start noticing boys. That's the same for gay and lesbian people, but, but we're looking at the same gender, not the opposite gender. Um, so I became aware of that, you know, and I was born 1951, just turned 70 last weekend. And so um, thank you. Um, so, you know, in that time um, when I realised what I was experiencing, that there was a word for it, that um, this meant I was, according to society, a pervert, a deviant, that um, according to the law, I was a criminal, um, according to mental health professionals, um, I was ill. So I knew straight away that there were two things that I needed to do. Number one is keep this a secret. And number two, you know, I must do everything in my power to change this. So that's where I began to try and fight it. And that's what led me to depression and then, you know, and, and terrible dark times. And then attempted suicide, then a psychiatrist. This was in my final year at high school. Um, and nobody really knew what was going on for me, but, you know, it was a terrible internal torment where you're trying to, you imagine trying to change being heterosexual, you know, you, you're trying to change, oh, you look at that person, you, you know, do all these things. Anyway, it was, um, it was during school holidays and I went on this Christian camp. And at the Christian camp, these people talked about Jesus as though he was real, not like a historical figure. And I remember walking along the beach one night and just going, God, I don't understand this, but you know, um, my life's a mess, but if you want it, you can have it. And I came back with what we would commonly call the born again experience. And then, you know, then I, then, but my homosexuality at that point, where was it? It was still there, but I was living on the euphoria of a conversion experience. And it was all very wonderful and I'm free, I'm free. <laughs> that was great. Um, but then uh, I wasn't free because, you know, it, it's, I, I was still same-sex oriented. Um, and so when that's, I kept fighting that, fighting that, fighting that. So, um, I mean, I could go on forever about all those battles, but let's summarise that in that, you know, when I, when I went to Bible college, um, I was told that it was because I had demons in me. So I went through three weeks of exorcisms in, in Auckland with the 
the top exorcist <laughs> um, in New Zealand, um, who turned out was having affairs with women and several women in the church. <laughs> um, anyway, that's that's another beside. So then I came back to Australia. And it, of course, it was still a battle and I was definitely having a nervous breakdown. And then I went to do a residential program. And in the residential program, they said it would take about two years to make you straight. And, you know, it lasted about six months in that place and I had to leave um, because of the, um, it was just so oppressive and abusive. Um, and then I got married to a lovely woman. And I thought, oh, this is good, this is great, you know. And we had two lovely children, that's became a very famous preacher. That was when all that happened. And um, then uh, just before my 40th birthday, I was in Brisbane and um, I met a guy. I had an encounter and this encounter was very different to any encounter I'd had with a guy previously. And this encounter was full of tenderness and affection and intimacy. And it, it, it was, my soul was touched, like some, something in here was, I felt something for the first time, something I never allowed myself to feel previously. And um, within a few weeks, I realized, oh my God, I fall in love with the sky. And for the first time in my life, I wanted it. And I realized that my 22 years of trying to change everything hadn't happened. So I resigned from the ministry. And I walked away from everything, Conrad. Like, you know, the Bible went into, the, <laughs> into a cupboard. Um, I didn't go to church. Because there was nothing in my mind that could reconcile these two things. Everything in my world said, you can't be gay and be a Christian. These two things are diametrically opposed. So I just shut down my relationship with God or anything. And then about six years later, I was doing this personal development course and it had a spiritual content to it. And when I started to do this course, I thought, I know this stuff. Like, I used to preach this stuff. <laughs> this is really familiar to me. And um, so how come, oh, one, I wonder if I threw the baby out with the bathwater. And I remember I prayed one night and I said, God, we're on speaking terms again. <laughs> and I don't know what's happening. Anyway, through that, then I, can, I found resolution of my faith and my sexuality. Yeah. And, and so then that journey led on then to support others who were going through that. So that, yeah, was, that was a bit long, wasn't it? No, that was the perfect synopsis to quite a difficult question that I think you nailed very well. Because it's quite like, you know, the, the book, like you said, goes into honest detail about your journey. And I think something that hit me in my sheltered little modern Australian life was like, well, I think you even talk in the book, I'm sure people can Google it, that being gay was only decriminalized in, what, 1990 or something? Um, in New South Wales, 1984. In uh, Tasmania, was the last state. I believe that was 1997. Like, it honestly, boggles my mind. Yeah. Describe for me, like, and you do in the book, 
But that world that you grew up in is like a very different world to the one that exists now, at least from what I'm seeing. What like what was it like to be in that world, essentially being a criminal if you were open and honest about your sexuality? It's it's about fear. You live in fear. You know, I'm I'm researching for my next book, The Quest to Cure Queers. And, you know, I go back into the 50s and 60s, you know. Um, no, what people were desperate to change. Why? Because of society's rejection of them. Because you couldn't dare take the, the shame that was attached to people's sexual orientation. And then, you know, like if you, if you, in some of these situations, you know, they would be arresting like, you know, 200 men a night in a particular place, you know. So the arrests, there are thousands upon thousands of arrests. You know, I I never got arrested, but I can remember hiding behind the bushes as police cars patrol past, you know. That I I had to I had to watch it. And I knew that if I got caught, when I, especially when I was in high school, that I'd end up in a, ju- a juvenile delinquents, you know, home and bring shame to my family. So you're living with fear, you're living with shame. It lives with you all the time because Mm. you can't turn off your sexual orientation. Mm. Your thoughts, your feelings are always with you. And when I was reading the book, it I felt like it was it was a hectic thing. And I felt like you even skimmed over it. You you mentioned, oh, I'd been bashed a few times. And I was Mm. like, hang on, what? Stop like you're just yeah. like, yeah, it's been bashed a few times. Like how how much physical abuse did you encounter growing up because of your sexual orientation? Well, I was bullied at school. Um, there was a particular gang at school that I think that they picked, you know, like a dog could smell fear. <laughs> this particular gang, um, something that they were calling me queer, they were calling me pansy, they were calling me faggot. Um, and they used to say, we're going to wait for you outside school. We'll be at the gate. And I used to run away from school early and take a different path home because I was afraid of being bashed. They'd come up behind me in the, at the tuck shop line and start punching me in, in the back. Um, you know, so there was bullying at high school already. But um, there was, yeah, there was a time that I was, twice I was attacked you know, at a beat. The thing is, though, Conrad, you know, in that era and at that time, you f- you felt like you deserved it. Because, you know, well, you know, I'm a queer. You know, what do I expect? Do I expect to be people to like me or accept me? No, you know, and, and I put myself in vulnerable situations. Because you internalised that societal story that tells you you are on some level you have to believe you're an abomination to believe that you deserve that kind of treatment yeah yes and then of course when you know when 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 you um, so that was already there before i became a christian and then of course when you become a christian then you've got some some verses there and you use that terrible king james word abomination and, you know, that just, so that constantly um, reinforced even further how bad I was, you know, or how evil I was. And I was always going through this terrible time, Conrad, where I'm going, 
is this just my flesh? Am I just an evil person? You know, is this the devil tempting me, trying to figure out why can't I get rid of this thing? Why, why, why do I find myself succumbing to temptations? Mm. Am I really, really that bad? And so you internalise, as you mentioned again, you know, this, this sense of self-loathing and self-hatred, which is incredibly mm. damaging, you know, to a person's, um, yeah, psyche and, and to their mental health. Because the Christian worldview that you moved into is very compatible with this idea of self-hatred, even if you are not uh, a complete outcast in society, even if you fit the Christian mold. There is that story that operates within a lot of Christianity, a lot of Protestantism, that's like, you are a complete sinner, you are worthless. You know, I I heard a lot of this kind of growing up, just being like, you know, we are nothing. We are useless. We are, you know, unworthy. Ah, but with God and with if you accept this set of belief, then you become palatable. But but God still can't handle you, but he's looking at Jesus in front of you. And there's still that like human self-loathing that kind of seems to travel through that Christian theme and context there. What's your faith background, Conrad? I grew up Adventist, Seventh Day Adventist. Ah, uh-huh. cool. Okay, right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, that always helps me to understand, you know, uh, people's language, the culture, with a particular yes. type of So I really understand um, yes. that. And, and and what you're saying is exactly right within that culture. But it's the same within evangelical. It's the same within uh-huh. Pentecostal. It's the same within charismatic circles. And I, um, so I'm going to be very controversial now. Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to say I really dislike the word sinner. Uh-huh. Why? Uh, because um, I, because of what you've just spoken about, you know, and, and where, where that leads an individual, that I don't think that God really sees us as sinners, even though I know that that terminology is there in the Bible mm. um, and about Jesus' redemption and everything else. I love the word human. I'm human. What does human mean? That means I have imperfections, I have um, inconsistencies, yeah. Um, uh, maybe there's a bit of a hypocrisy in there at times, but I'm human and I've come to love my humanity. <laughs> and I remember, you know, and, and you'll be familiar with this, the verses in the scriptures where it says the heart is desperately weak, wicked, you know, uh, and deceptive and who can know it? And so I would get sort of guess of people who would say to me things like, you know, well, you, you're just deceiving yourself because the heart is desperately wicked. And I'm just saying, well, might be for you, but my heart's pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I live by some very, very strong Christian values, but they're also human values, you know, of integrity and of love and of respect and, and of tolerance and acceptance and compassion. All these things are beautiful things. And, um, yeah, so that's that's the way that I live. I went off track then, didn't I? No, no, you're, you're, you're right on track, actually, because you're talking about, and that's what I picked up in the story as I read it. It's a story of your journey coming to some level of acceptance of yourself, but wrapped up within that is the society that you're moving through. And mm. it's a story about the, 
it seems to me you've got this journey of your idea of God, your journey of what is this God? Because throughout the whole story, well, throughout your whole story that you're telling, you're using a lot of words like God called me to do this and God did that and God opened this door. And it's very like familiar Christian language for people to be listening to. This is how God operates. And clearly when you use the word God now, you're, it's, you're saying something different to when you use the word God 20 to 30 years ago. And there seems to be some transition happening of who or what this God is. Because as you're going through the life of conversion therapy, it just seems like from one to the next, how can I be rid of this one thing? There's this idea of this this God of miraculous healing being trans- transformed. Like, God, if you can do this, and you're even describing from your experience some things that people might call miracles. You're saying you didn't have money at one point and some guy handed you a check for the exact bill you needed to pay, bang. And you're like, well, God's in my life doing all these things but he will not change you, transform you. Like this is what a lot of Christians would say. They go, I believe, like I watched the Australian Christian Lobby video from Martin Niles, who won't come on this show. Come on, mate. Come on the show if you want to talk about it. Oh, um, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and he would, he would say things like, I believe in a God of transformation. And that's the same God you're describing. Mm. But then on some level throughout the whole book, you're talking about, well, why is God not changing me? This is leading me to a lot of suffering, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Why will God not change me? Talk to me about what has happened with your picture of God, that journey of what, of who or what God is to you throughout your life there. Well, maybe, um, maybe that thing about God, uh, my understanding of God, so not my understanding who God is has never really changed, except my understanding has. That that God that I talk about in my early Christian experience and, you know, and all that time in the ministry and all those things, um, and when I talk about God today, it, it is the same thing. And you notice I didn't use agenda then. <laughs> it is the same thing. Um, and will always be the same thing. The only thing that has changed is my comprehension, my understanding, my awareness, my my knowledge of, my comprehension of who is who is this mysterious force and energy and influence on my life still today in some incredibly miraculous ways. Hmm. Yeah. So what was your comprehension of God as your a mega church pastor? Uh, very, very, it, I, I love that saying, um, I forget who said it, but um, it's great. It says, I would rather have uh, questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Hmm. Mm. And I know, you know, as a, as a mega church preacher, as a, as a popular preacher, as an evangelist, um, I felt I had all the answers. Although I would never say that. <laughs> but deep down right. inside, yeah. I, you know, of course, we've got the Bible. Mm. We found the answer. The answer is in Jesus. So, yeah, it's all 
very, very, very black and white. And it's all neatly packaged. But there comes a point where that begins to unravel because that's not really the reality. Because it does sound like there is that level of security that you find in having this book that has all the answers. And you're right. It's nothing that's explicitly said. You know, uh, people growing up in whatever church would be like, oh, no, we don't know everything. You know, we can't possibly know the mind of God. But if you ask me any doctrinal question, I'm going to give you an answer. And I kind of know this. But it sounds like your story and your life ultimately kept showing you or exposing to you firsthand in a lot of traumatic different ways that you didn't have the answers and these answers were not working on a practical level. Cause it sounds like you're taking this seriously. You're saying God can change. God can transform this idea of God will save me. Ultimately I'm doing what you want. I'm married to a woman. I've got kids now. How can I be transformed yet you remain untra- quote unquote transformed in the way that you're told you can be. And so I thought the problem was with me. Uh-huh. The, the problem can't be with God, you know. God's word is eternal and God's promises are true. So, you know, if there is a problem going on here, it has to do with me. I'm the one uh. that's, that's causing this problem in my life. So, you know, that's why when I resigned for the ministry and walked away, from everything there, I had to reject everything, which was my relationship with God as well. I might just add something here that might be helpful to some of your listeners as well, Conrad, is that um, what I've discovered working in this space with, with thousands of people now is that for the LGBT person from a faith background, um, their faith journey and their sexual orientation or their gender identity journey are two very separate things. Even though they seem to be very much intertwined with scripture and everything, you know, mm. that this is this is all one thing, I've got to get this sorted out. They're actually two very separate journeys so that a person can have completely resolved their issue around their sexual orientation or gender identity, but their whole faith journey is like, oh, my God, this is a seething mass of unresolved conflicts and trauma, and I, and I don't have any answers to these questions. Um, so there can be two, that, or somebody can, you know, yeah, be on the other side that they're, um, that, I mean, I, I come across, people that said, I've accepted my homosexuality, but I think I'll go to hell. Mm. What? Wow. You're, you're living with that mindset, but it's been so ingrained in them, you know, and the only way for them to re- be released to that, of course, is to educate themselves further around that. Because I like this discussion around what you're talking you're saying as your understanding or perception of what you're calling god because we all have a perception and understanding if you're religious and believe in a god that who or who or what is this god and how does this god operate and when you're 
reading the Bible in a, a pretty typical way uh, in 2021, I think, in the way of God can change, God can transform, so therefore God is the God of, of miracles. Uh, so therefore God should be able to heal you from something, anything, from an ailment, and if categorized so, being gay. And so yeah. the conclusions that come up as you're going through your life, what was your perception on, on this God as you're going through going, well, God's helped me in this way, but he hasn't helped me in this way. So either God is deliberately not transforming you into what you're supposed to be, or he can't, or and you wouldn't use a gender there, but would you have used a gender back then? God, he can't. Is that he can't or he won't? Was was that ever part of your thought process? Yeah, and that was, you know, that was the conflict after 22 years of, you know, trying everything to change, you know, and, and, and you know, all the things that you were you, you supposed to do, you know. And you, I mean, I, fight, I did two 40-day fasts, you know. I, I, I could quote scripture, I could, you know, I would sing Christian choruses, you know, I would, I would, I would try all these strategies to not be who I was, to not have a thought, to not have a feeling, but of course it still existed. So, you know, there was always that battle where, um, and, and, and in my original world, as I mentioned before, God can't be the problem. <laughs> I must be the problem. My own selfishness, you know, I'm, I must be so bad. I am so evil. Like, I keep thinking these things. I keep going back there. How can I, how can I, I'm not living a holy life, you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the problems with me, when, um, after I came out, as I said, about six years later, I did have this experience of, you know, like a reconnection, I guess, with my spirituality or, or with God, there's this overwhelming sense of peace and that I was loved just as I am. And um, that's, that's not an uncommon experience for an LGBT person from a faith background, that with all that internal conflict and everything, that there comes a moment where you just go, uh, I'm loved. I'm, I'm so loved. I'm so deeply loved. I have experienced grace. I've experienced forgiveness. Oh my God, I have this beautiful sense of peace and resolution. This, this, is, this is amazing. And you don't have all the answers or even all the scriptures sorted out. That comes along later on. But that's a profound experience of God. And just know you're accepted and loved. Because as God is not transforming you in this one specific way, you're saying that that's your fault. God could, but you're doing something wrong. You're yeah. even worse than you could imagine. And yeah. that's why God isn't. Yes. Yeah. There's something, there's something. It's my fault. I don't have enough faith. I'm not trying hard enough. I mean, you know, um, that was what I was told when I was in, in the, the, the program, you know, that you, you're just not trying hard enough. 
you know, when when I left the program, it was like they were want to put a curse on me, you know, that, well, you just end up a lonely, desperate old gay man, you know, that's what happens to all these homosexuals. So, you know, you, you, you're, walking, you're walking away from God and you will suffer the consequences, um, which, I, which I tended to believe. <laughs> I'm hearing non-controversial themes for a lot of Christians coming through when you're describing this acceptance of yourself. Now, Christianity always talks about grace. They always talk about love. They always talk about forgiveness and say, Anthony, and I'm sure they would have said this in your programs or going through these mega churches, well-known like Hillsong Youth Alive, because Youth Alive, fun fact, and I was trying to pinpoint when you would have been a part of it. First, first like Christian worship rock album I ever, I was like, Youth Alive, this is sick. I was like six or seven. So I was like, oh man, this guy at the heart of Youth Alive. So you've influenced me without even, without even knowing it. Yeah, I founded that, founded that in New South Wales. Yeah. Wow, so you would have yeah. gone along to the rallies or something around them, maybe. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I did, yeah. But that might have well, been that, after your time. The last Youth Alive rally I preached at was at the Horton Pavilion with the 5,000 young people, um, and that would have been uh, 19, maybe 1990. Yeah, I was one. One years old, nah, so. <laughs> but I probably listened to, to that music after. But yeah, like, yeah. Hey, here's something. I, there, there, there are people who contacted me who came forward to give their life to Jesus that night in the Horder Pavilion, who are now out and proud gay lesbians <laughs> and, and gay men. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I was at that order call that you gave at the Horder Pavilion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, I'm out now. <laughs> and and you would have you would have heard this language of or even preached this language of like you are accepted by who you are it doesn't matter you know what you do or anything god loves and accepts you but you're talking about this experience of grace this experience of going oh i am actually okay as i am but it sounds like the words of the doctrine and the application of the doctrine were the exact polar opposites because God couldn't help you because you weren't trying hard enough. You weren't doing enough, despite the very common message of, Anthony, there's nothing you need to do. All you need to do is accept Jesus. So that's got to be a very torturous world to live between as you're saying to yourself. So is it on this subconscious level, being like, no, no, I'm accepted, I'm loved, there's nothing I need to do. And then on the subconscious level, I'm the worst possible person that even God won't heal me because I'm doing something wrong. I guess I believe that I was accepted um, coming to God as a sinner. Uh, yeah, Yeah, with all of that, I've come. But once I came to God, then... Um, that that acceptance ran out. That, that that's when I need to be more like Jesus. I need to be mm. more holy. I need to be more righteous. Yeah. Mm. So there was never any moment like, well, God's accepting you through all your struggles. Again, no, that wasn't that wasn't there for me at all. When you're talking about the man you fell in love with, 
Love, we've only got the one word. So talk to me about this love that pulled you so hard to the point where you said, I'm going to give up my paycheck, my status, my wife, like everything I kind of know to move towards what this love is that you're saying you've never experienced. Because uh, describe, I guess, the love you would have had for your wife and then the love you would have had for this man that you've never felt before. Like what the one word seems a bit too small to encapsulate this, this experience. So, you know, I had a, um, uh, my, my, my former wife was, is an incredible woman, um, who I had the utmost, um, respect for. And, you know, I guess that I loved her as much as I had the capacity to as a, as a gay man. And of course, I adored my children, my two daughters, you know, I, and I, I, lo- I was very much, here, here's what I think. I think I was more in love with the idea of being a father and being a husband and being normal than I was in love with my wife. Hmm. It, was, it, was, it was what I was desired because it was not it was normalcy it was it, it now I, now I'm normal so um with Jason in the book you know when I met him actually realized it um just just last month it's 30 years ago since I I met him and um uh, I the thing that was different was, you know, when you fall in love, what do you do? You talk on the phone for hours, you know, you think of that person, you want to give them gifts, da, 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 you know. Uh, it's, it's overwhelming the emotion of falling in love. And that's what I had with Jason that I had never, ever experienced before. So suddenly this, and this is, this is something I had never experienced because my encounters with guys up to that point essentially had been, you know, 30-second encounters, you know, or 60-second encounters. I didn't want to be there. I didn't, didn't like it, wouldn't let myself enjoy it. And here I was with this man for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, and it was beautiful. And as I said, ignited. There was something that I had tried to kill within me and... Uh, it suddenly started to sprout. And, and I knew that, and, and so at that point, Conrad, you know, I had already spent more than 22 years fighting this. So I'm really, really tired. I'm really exhausted. And, and I'm happy to face the reality. I'm, this is never gonna change, you know. Get real, Anthony. This is never going to change. And from that point on, when, when I accepted that, I knew I couldn't preach again because I could preach as long as I was fighting it. But when I wanted it, I know I can't preach anymore. So, you know, I planned to sort of escape and um, feign a nervous breakdown and disappear in woodwork and, and, and be with Jason. And that is the 
both controversial and non-controversial thinking about what you're saying because there's one reading of what you're saying that is love pulled you into this this space of self-acceptance which could be described as grace being like i am okay and it's controversial because christians would very much say god is love so there's that level of god in this form of love with another man pulling you towards this level of self-embrace of who you are and that's why you may get the pushback of saying no anthony that wasn't love, that was lust. It was something else. We can't accept that for being love. And maybe as I'm just thinking out loud here, that's the battle that maybe is fought on the political level to say people in same-sex relationships, well, they can't be loving because on some level, if God is love, then God is there. And we've been taught, whether culturally or religiously, I'm not sure which, that this is what it looks like. And it's a it's quite it's quite a challenging perspective to put to someone of a conventional Christian worldview. What do you what do you make of that? Sadly, um very conservative Christians, they can't get their minds out of the bedroom mm-hmm. or off off our genitals. <laughs> Like, please, you know, you think our sexual orientation is all around sex. Yeah. They think the gay community is all about yeah. sex. That's all they think of. But, you know, it's it's not. It, it is about love. Relationships are about love. What keeps a gay lesbian couple together for 50 years? The same thing that keeps a heterosexual couple together for 50 years. It's love, it's commitment, it's respect, it's honesty, it's openness, it's trust. Like it just The list goes on and that's what keeps those relationships going for so, for so long. And, and as a conservative Christian, all they want to think about is, um, I've written this here, people go to my website, uh, to our website, at abby.org.au, A-W-B-I.org.au. There's a little uh, humorous thing I put in there called a willy in a bottom. <laughs> and it's a, it's a conversation that I had. Well, I've had many of these conversations with particular ministers who go, oh, you know, well, yes, you're, you're accepted, you know, in our church, yes please come along. I said, oh, that's good, you know. They said, oh, we accept everybody. Like we accept, you know, prostitutes, alcoholics, drug addicts, homosexuals. <laughs> yeah, oh, great. Okay. Oh, so that's good. Well, I've got a partner who's, who's um recovering alcoholic. Can I, I can bring him. Oh, yes, you can bring him, you know. Um, uh, but you're in a relationship. You, and um, you know, so you will be a practicing homosexual, would you? And it, uh, it goes on, but it all comes back down to oh, so you mean the problem that you have with me is that I might put my willy in someone's bottom? Because <laughs> really, honestly, that that's what it's down to for a lot of these people. They they can't actually think that's about what practicing else. means when you use yes, the word practicing. Exactly. That's what you're talking practicing. about. And then I say, well. Oh, I've got a lot of lesbian friends being really happy to come to church because that's not a problem for them. 
Is it? Yeah. Anyway, it's a little humorous thing, but yeah. but that's what have the conservatives. Um, they 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 just think about sex. Hmm. And you're trying to paint a, a broader, wider picture of what a well, you're trying to include all the other aspects of relationship that they know exists within their relationship, but seem to forget ex- would exist within your relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and let's face it. You know, the longer you're in your relationship, the less sex plays a part. <laughs> oh, you're, you're laughing. You're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's always the joke. That's always the joke. You're like, if you don't want to have sex, just get married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, and, 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 and gay, lesbian relationships are the same as heterosexual. It's just people mm. need to get over this silly nonsense about what goes on in the bedroom and what we do with our genitals. And Frankly, it's none of their business. <laughs> and I think you hit on something that would always that would always come up, I'm sure that you talk about. And in your book, you talk about you, I guess, going, you know what, I maybe I'm just going to hell. I'm going to go into the gay community. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to participate in the clubs, the nightlife, just, you know, whatever was stereotypical of that community of the time. And the perspective of that is it's, it's a dangerous, debaucherous, uh, unhealthy community and space. It's unhealthy relationships. And as I was reading, as I was listening to your time in that scene or community in your younger days i'm listening and going oh it doesn't sound super healthy and then there's the and then i ask myself the question is because you've got the religious narrative that goes see the the mardi gras and the gay community see it's it's you can't be that it's an unhealthy space but then i just thought is this just what is this the same as a hetero clubbing scene, sex scene, nightlife scene. Is it, from your perspective, the same space that exists? Like, did you witness it as a healthy or unhealthy space to be a part of? And is there anything unique about it that actually it doesn't exist in the heterosexual world as opposed to the LGBT world? Is it the same thing or would you say it's different of in any way? It's the same. It's the same. It's a subculture. Not, you know, not, not everybody, I, there was a time King's Cross was the place, you know, there were, mm-hmm. there were um, um, you know, places where swingers would go, you know, there were sex clubs, you know, they, this, these were not for gay people, these are for, um, for, for heterosexuals and, you know, and there are various dance parties and nightclubs and, you know, and there are drugs and there are, and so is that what every heterosexual is doing? Nah. <laughs> no, no, well, not the ones I know. They're all pretty tame. <laughs> but, 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 you know, as I say, I always talk about the, the, the tip of the iceberg. So, you know, uh, there are people who see Mardi Gras, you know, who go to maybe Oxford Street and they go, ah, oh, so this is the gay community. Now, this is the tip of the iceberg. Underneath that, there's this whole community of amazing people who are doing incredible things, or some are just getting, some are forklift drivers, some are, so, you know, people uh, working in hospitals, you know, the doctors, there's the academics, people just living normal lives. 
But of course, you don't, you don't see them. They're not as visible as that uh, expression on Oxford Street or a Mardi Gras parade. But let's face it, the Mardi Gras parade is fabulous. Because I'm is trying to not? work out. <laughs> I've, I've, never, I've never really been, but maybe you I must will. come. You must come. I, I always, at every Mardi Gras parade, I always cry. I'm always touched emotionally. Oh, uh... You know, like yeah. the last time, you know, um, one of the one of the groups who were a part of the parade were LGBT people with disabilities in their wheelchairs. Yeah. You know. So when you're when you're talking about Mardi Gras and you're you're almost crying, when you look at Mardi Gras, what are you seeing? I see my tribe. And is that a, you're describing a, a sense of I belong, I'm okay, yeah, I'm accepted. Here are people like me my people with all their with all their outrageousness with all their mm. i mean there was a there was a moment that you would have read about um in, in the book where i was at my first mardi gras party and i can i can tell you the moment i fell in love with my tribe mm. because you know i'd heard so many negative things you know about this gay, they're a gay agenda and, you know, and they're mm. all debauched and they're all, you know, sleeping with each other and they're, yeah, they're, these are not nice people, but I made a different discovery because I became a part of the community and, um, and I did really fall in love with my tribe and, and that's why I get touched emotionally, you know, when I, mm. every, every time I see the parade, yeah. Mm. Um, but as I read your book, I'm trying to work out because I have a very limited dating perspective. You go, you you end up in a few relationships which would be abusive or unhealthy, and mm. and I'm and I'm trying to work out because there's the reading of it. If you read the book through the lens of like, here's the journey of someone who who is trying to change their sexuality and ultimately can't. Like it's all about sexuality. If that's the lens you kind of read it through, you might read that and go. Okay, look at all these unhealthy relationships within the gay community. And I'm trying to work out the dating scene. Do you think that there is a lot of hurt and difficulty in to have this like this uh stereotype of an ideal, this this um one long-term relationship? Do you think it's harder to find that within the gay community? Or is it, once again, I'm so out of touch with the dating world. I, I My wife was the first person I dated and married. So I'm like, I don't know how hard it is. So I, I can't come to that and go, ah, oh, it's actually really bloody hard for everybody because everyone's got yeah. their issues and everyone. So so talk to me about about your perspective on the, on the dating that you encountered as you went through it in the gay community. Well, I think that, um, once again, this is all very human. It's not um, about gay, lesbian people or, or uh, separately. It's well, all human. I mean, within, within the straight world, there are people who are very needy, who are going to codependent relationships. You know, the, the codependency is a very, very common experience. 
you know, that there is a rescuer and there is a victim and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, um, I, I, <laughs> when I um, left the church and everything, you know, I just had this vision, wow, okay, now I've accepted my homosexuality. I'm just going to find somebody, fall in love with them, white picket fence, um, and we're together till the wee day, day we die. Now, how many heterosexuals have that <laughs> sort of concept as well? That's what they expect. But reality says, no, that doesn't always work out that way. And, you know, you can be married for 20 years and you end up growing really apart and being actually different people and it's not working anymore. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's yes, I did go through um, codependency. I went through um, an amazing relationship for 12 months and um, now I'm just very, very happy um, living my single life because um, every day I get up, I've got something important to do. And I think what you've what you've hit on, which seems obvious when I say it now, what I'm hearing come through is this idea of we no longer need to categorize and split. And I I feel like that is what's being said, saying if you're gay we're now talking about sexuality. We're now identifying it as something different. I'm going, yeah, but Anthony, like this gay community, like it's different to the heterosexual community. Is it? Is it not? And you're saying you can talk about it in this way that pulls it apart from the human journey. And what it sounds like you're saying is just like somebody might go through abusive relationships in a hetero heterosexual way or in they might have trauma from something else that's happened you're saying this is all part of the human journey and to include being gay as what is now just classed as this is just part of the human journey. Why does it keep being pulled out? Why does it keep being separated? And why does it become a point of differentiation? Why, why is it not just all immediately just a human journey? Mm. Um, I wrote this thing um, before marriage equality, which was, I have a dream. And I think it was, you know, like I was, projecting myself 20 years ahead when we had had marriage equality for, you know, over a decade. And, um, you know, what, what will happen in time is that, you know, um, there'll be young people who will, gay and lesbian people who will fall in love while they're in high school. And then they'll get engaged and then they'll get married and then they may or may not have some children, you know, um, and you'll go to the local news agent and you'll get an engagement card for a same-sex couple, you know, a wedding card for a same All these things will become so much a part of our everyday life that we don't have so much, you know, oh, well, that's them and that this is us. But having said that, you know, we must remember that there is something fabulous about the gay community. And that we do have some amazing cultural things. And I know that there might be some people in my community who, who disagree with this, but, you know, um, uh, I, I've lived in this world for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, there is just some amazing, the creativity, you know, the sense of humour, um, some of the cultural things. 
There's something we have, something we have without stereotyping too much. And, and I hope that we continue to nurture that. It's like, it's like an ethnic group that should never lose their ethnicity, you know, and, and some of their traditions and culture. And there's always the fear that some people have that we can become so integrated within mm. society that we lose our specialness. Mm. I want to, I guess I want to get your perspective then on this conversion therapy bill. Mm-hmm. Being having been a pastor, having participated in exorcisms and different forms of an attempt to change who you are, what would you say to somebody that is upset about the passage of this bill? What would you say to someone who says, this is taking away my religious freedom because I believe God can change you, Anthony? And I guess a longer conversation would happen being like, well, he didn't in 20-something or 30 years or so. What am I doing wrong, I guess, would be the discussion we've just had. But what what's your understanding of this conversion therapy bill and perhaps the people who might oppose it? I understand how they feel, Conrad. I understand their feelings of being threatened. Um, I understand their insecurities around this. What we need to focus on with the current bills that have happened, you know, in the in Queensland, the ACT, and and most recently Victoria, which has been the, the primary one because it wasn't just about change, it was also about suppression. That what the focus of these bills is, is about the harm. We know it, it's well documented and I've, I've worked with thousands of survivors and we know that this causes great harm to individuals and um, uh, that some people, it is so much so it drives them to take their own lives. And that's what these bills are about. It's not saying you can't do this and you can't do that. It's going, people need to be protected. This is about protecting and there is enough evidence, you know, like Exodus was founded in 1976. Um, Yeah, 1976. I was at the I was at the conference when it closed down, and um, why did it close down? Because the the leader, the world leader of this organisation and all the affiliates said it doesn't work. <laughs> no one changed their orientation, and in fact, we need to ask your forgiveness for the pain, for the suffering for the mental health issues, and we need to acknowledge that some people have killed themselves over this lie. So this legislation is about preventing harm. And yes, 
people can still preach if they want to that you know homosexuality is a sin you know or that you could never put a willy in a bottom or you know whatever they 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 want to preach but you want to be sure you want to be sure that you're not harming that person with that message mm. because we have decades of evidence that this is soul destroying because they will say proponents of conversion therapy or a biblical interpretation that says same-sex marriage should not happen and same-sex relationships mm. should not happen they will say anthony i agree with you conversion therapy can be abusive probably the ones you experienced because you did them quite some time ago they go yeah they've been outlawed like we don't we don't do that type of conversion therapy anymore but you're trying to stop me from praying for somebody to change. If you come to me freely out of your own free will, Anthony, you say, oh, can you pray for me? I want to change. The fear is you're trying to take away the freedom for me to do that. Now, sidestepping the debate over the legality and how it's going to be interpreted by courts and, and, and the legal complexities, it sounds like there's something deeper that maybe both sides of this debate are touching on because the definition of i think the definition of conversion therapy is very broad and that's what the christian community is pushing against but that is also what a friend of the show Tish, who is a Bap- uh, baptist yeah a baptist pastor a lesbian baptist pastor a queer no queer baptist pastor at um at a church she was she was talking about this and she was saying, but that's what she appreciates about the bill is because it is broad enough to include some of these stories that are told, some of the subtle inferences and practices that ultimately tell the story to the gay community saying, you are broken, you must change. Now, is that, the real sinister harm that you seem to be talking about through the journey, through your life's journey, is that there have been openly abusive practices that you have witnessed and participated in and been a victim of throughout being a pastor. But is the real harm and damage caused by this subtle narrative? Like, even though you're saying you can still preach uh, willies can't go into bottoms, but isn't that still the message that potentially causes the exact harm you're talking about that says, Anthony, you don't belong, you are different, and you, should, you shouldn't be who you are? Yeah, like, you know, I, I created this meme about the way, what, what was the belief around, uh, you know, when there were the, the, all the organisations were in place, you know, this is not what God wants for you, you know, this is dysfunction, being dysfunctional, not a part, this is unnatural, all, the, all those things, and God can change you. And then we moved into what we call the celibacy message, you know, which is, but it's all based on the same beliefs. This is unnatural, this is not what God wants, um, you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know, all those things. Oh, and you can never practice, you can never, well, essentially to say you can never fall in love or have a long-term relationship. But all the beliefs are the same. And just as the beliefs 
were damaging and created programs that created all sorts of things. So those other beliefs about being broken, um, about it being unnatural, those messages are just as damaging for people psychologically. If you're sitting in a church as a young 13-year-old, the, the only thing that will enable you to grow into a healthy human being will to be a part of an affirming church where you are totally accepted for who you are no questions asked, where you can serve and use your gifts, that there's never a moment where there's a doubt that oh, there's something different about you and therefore you can't do this or you can't do that. Um, I should mention that, you know, there are people who say that people have changed and they point to marriages. But, you know, I've written this article about, I call it situational heterosexuality. The people who are in those marriages, as I was, are situational heterosexuals. Move us out of that marriage, we're still gay. <laughs> but in the situation, we have a level of heterosexual functionality. We have children, but we're, our orientation hasn't changed. Only the circumstances change. And so, you know, it, it, people, there's, people should read more. Because, <laughs> you know, there are so, they look, you know, like Margaret Court, for example, will say, you know, well, I believe the Bible, you know, and, um, you know, oh, yes, we love homosexuals. I've got homosexuals in my church, you know, we've helped them change. Well, I doubt that, Margaret. <laughs> You know, my life experiences says, no, they didn't change. They changed their circumstance, but they didn't change their orientation. But you've interpreted it because they've got a wife and two kids with them that they're now heterosexual. Uh-uh, they're not. And that's why a lot of these marriages end up breaking down. People come out um, in their 40s or 50s because there's this person inside them going, when am I going to live? When am I going to live? When are you gonna... Time's running out. And there's this cognitive dissonance, this internal conflict going on inside them and that will drive them crazy or they'll have to resolve. And I've worked with lots of people in that situation, gay and lesbian people in heterosexual marriages who came to a point where they said, this is unsustainable and this is cruel to my partner and um, I can't do it anymore. Mm. You're thinking deeply there, Conrad. Yes, yes, yeah, I think. What are you thinking? Just how complicated it gets to because the, the religious community is trying to build walls and say, you can't tell me what to believe. You can't, we have religious freedom. I can believe whatever I want to believe. And let's say, for example, this bill does everything they fear. It will stop people even, let's go as far as, and I don't even know the bill, I haven't even read it. I'm just talking about it. Um, it let's say it will go as far as saying, you can't even preach that message anymore. 
Because what I'm hearing you talk about is the ingrained suppression of that person inside that you're just talking about there. That person inside that you're saying is always there and is waiting and pushing and wanting love, wanting life, wanting to be included. And the thing that... And this is, this is a powerful little person inside because the suicide rates of this, non, of, of this group but due to non-acceptance and due to like these, these stories that are being told saying you are not, you do not belong cause so much harm that, and cause so much trauma that people go, you know what, I, I just will not be here anymore. I can't, I can't live like this anymore, so I won't live. And that's a, a heavy and traumatic like idea to encounter, I think. And I think the hardest thing for the religious community to maybe encounter and accept is that we have on a pedestal religious freedom and go, oh, we got it. Like you got to protect it. And I think that's right. I think that's true. You know, it's important for so many things. Um, but then you're ultimately saying through your story, if people read your book, this story caused so much trauma and harm. How can we preach it? How can we teach it? And the question, I guess, you know, I started questioning like, yeah, but what about this bill? Put the bill to the side. The question should be, if, if we are listening to you, Anthony, as a religious community, if they're saying, okay, Anthony, if we're listening to you, we really need to encounter at the heart of what you're saying is that this story, whether it's legally preached from a pulpit or not saying, don't put willies in bottoms. This story is at the heart of the inability for people who are part of the LGBT community to not live in a state of grace. They don't get to live in a state of self acceptance. They don't get to live in a state of societal acceptance, but that will require taking something that comes under the banner of my, my freedom, Anthony, my freedom to believe. And so, yeah, I'm trying to, that's my process as I'm thinking deeply going, oh, like I can, I can see the, the, the battle of, of people to protecting their tribe, but then people like yourself who boldly stand up and have stepped into the line of fire going, I'm going to talk about my life experience. I'm going to be open and vulnerable and share with share with you things of my deepest personal experience that no one ever has to share, but you've come and, and stepped into this vulnerable space in order to, I guess, share how much this story of you don't belong, how much actual physical harm and trauma it has caused your life and the lives of all the people that um, that are in that community. What I guess, what are your thoughts and, and take on all that I've just said? Well, you know, um, what you're saying is is really true. So this, you know, I've been around long enough to, um, you know, I was I was one of the first in the world to go into a residential program, a Christian program in 1972. That's four years before Exodus was founded. So you know. I've got a long history of this. Of a gay this conversion whole, program. 
Yes, yes, yes. So before Exodus, I was already in one for four years before, before Love in Action. So um, uh, I, I've, I've been able to observe the, the journey of all this. And what I've seen is, you know, the, the, uh, the evolution of even what we would call the ex-gay message which was originally you just get converted that you change, you know. Then it was you get converted um, and then, um, uh, then then you get demons cast out of you. Then there, there was another message, oh, you get converted, then we have reparative therapy because, you know, your mummy or your daddy didn't love you enough, you know, or there was sexual abuse and then spiritual. So I've, I've, I've seen the whole messages evolve and we've got to the point now where it's, well, we can accept you being gay, but you can never ever act on it. So you, and this is what city diocese are doing now, you know, city diocese have acknowledged that reparative therapy was harmful and didn't work. And, um, and now, you know, it's all about celibacy. But the problem is the message, underlying message of all that is always the same, you're broken. You need healing. There's something dysfunctional in you. And uh, this is not natural for you to feel this way or to be this way. Um, and so you are committed to a life of celibacy. So as I've seen the ex-gay message ch change over the decades to acknowledge it didn't work, the new celibacy message, I give it 20 years. Because what will happen <laughs> is as all the ex-gay people realise this is, didn't work, this didn't work, but took them 40 years to work out the celibacy people, what will happen is they'll be celibate, but then they'll fall in love with someone. Hmm. And love changes everything. And I, I have friends in the US, um, Randy Thomas, who was a vice president of uh, Exodus, um, he used to preach a celibacy message. He's now engaged, he's fallen in love and engaged to his partner, Stan, uh, uh, Dan, and, you know, and, and Julie Rogers. So there are all these people, you know, he used to preach celibacy, but what happened was <laughs> you fall in love. Like you can't imagine trying to shut that down in your life. Hmm. This is not healthy. And so I give the celibacy message another 20 years and then they'll go, and I, that didn't work either. <laughs> and then finally they'll wake up. This is just a natural variant in the human experience of sexuality and gender identity. Mm. Chill. <laughs> One more element I wanna I wanna bring into this conversation that jumped out as I read your story is that the frequency with which in your book you said and they came out later as having an affair with this person or uh, <laughs> sexually abusing yeah. this person or yeah. like it, it seems to me at least from the outside looking in to the religious world of mega church pastors, cause they're the ones that pop to the top. But I right. think the trend goes not just mega church. There's this, there's this consistent, revelation of here is a icon of religious like moral fortitude who is the 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 perfect pastor i suppose and then oh it comes out they might have had an affair and at worst case <laughs> it comes out 
and they sexually abuse people or abuse people. Like the recent Ravi Zacharias, the the affair of Carl Lentz, like this. What is your take on what seems to be happening within religious structures? And I and I'm hesitant to I'm talking about religious structures, but I'm well aware that I I wonder if it's just power structures in general. I'm I'm unsure of that. But is there some kind of connection between this message of sexual purity, power, and the church? Is there what's your thought on those three elements? Well, you know, we often forget that whether they're a mega church pastor or, or Christian leader, whether that they're they're also human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you're always going to get these things happening because people are human beings. And sadly, you know, um, uh, a, a recent trend in, in Christianity has been this celebrityism, you know, and um, people being put up so much on pedestals and, you know, and creating unreal worlds of lines, really. Um, I don't see us ever being able to go back to that because it's very much a part of just the everyday culture, isn't it? You know, so, um, yeah, I look, having, having been through the exposure myself, you know, having, mm. having been through a public scandal myself, I know how horrific those things are. Not just, it's not just the individual it's their family, it's their friends, it can be the church can go through a traumatic experience if it's the pastor, you know. Um, and sadly, I don't think we deal with these things well, you know. We, we tend to brush it all under the carpet or be denial about it. But, you know, I know when it happened to me, like I, I spent... Um, it was three weeks crying every day, every night, you know, like I'd, I'd wake up in the morning, begin to cry and get enough courage to get out of bed and face the day. And I cried during the day, then I'd go to bed at night and I'd cry myself to sleep. I'd be completely traumatised, but nobody knew how to look after me or to deal, to deal with that. You know, I had to, my wife and I had to struggle through all that just all by ourselves. And I don't think they really know how to deal with it all because they don't want to accept we're all human. We're all human. We all need grace and we all need forgiveness. And, yes, there are some very bad people in the world, um, but they will be held accountable and, um, you know, they have to live with themselves. And, uh, yeah, um, there's some of my thoughts on that, Conrad. Mm. Do you think there's an element of power that is at play whether power on some level seems to I guess corrupt? Like if you're a if you're a pastor, there's this idea of being I guess closer to God. You're the you're the bloke spreading mm. the message. You're the bloke, you know, telling people what to do and 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 you may even be the one saying, oh, I think God's calling you for this or God's calling you for that. Mm. Is there, do you think there's an element of a, a Lord of the Rings type, the ring of power? Like when you're handed this, this God authority indirectly being like, they can, they can say things like I heard some of the horrific 
revel- like what came out about Ravi Zacharias, how he'd say things like, well, if you say anything, people might go to hell forever because they turn away from God because I converted them or something. And that's this wielding of this God-like power, this, this wielding of power of like salvation and, and eternity is, is your experience being like in the mega church pastors being preacher. Is there, what's your, how was your relationship with power when you were in those spaces? Did it shift how you saw things at all? Um, I don't know if I really had all that much power being itinerant evangelist going from church to church, you know, you, you, the spaces that, that, that you inhabit are very different to someone who's a mega church pastor with 20,000 in this church, you know, or a global church. But, you know, when the stories come out, you know, like there was Neville Johnson in New Zealand, you know, who was my exorcist, for want of a better word, you know. Um, Ravi, that you've just mentioned, Carl Lentz, um, and um, Bill Hybels. You know, there's always the same sort of things, you know, and then saying similar things about this is, you know, I, 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 God's allowing this and this is because I'm really anointed or, you know, I'm really special. Fuck that. <laughs> that is so, that's so evil, isn't it? Mm. That, that is evil to abuse a place of grace or calling for your own, you know, physical desires and needs. I just think that's the deception and everything. There's so much in that, isn't there? We just it's really this is this is really you you are a very bad person to have done that. Mm. You're a very bad person. Anthony, thanks for taking so much time to chat through just all the different like it's with honestly the story of your life has so many different elements to it and it's been great to be able to chat to you about some of those different elements. Is there anything that you'd want to add or sum up or talk about that you didn't quite get to? Um, I, I think I'd just like to say too, you know, that there was a the point we were touching on how as a gay person, you know, growing up, you know, there was always that fear and shame and, um, you know, we're not the only ones to experience this in the church. Um, you know, I've had emails from heterosexual Christian readers who say, I so relate to your journey mm. because, you know, I felt pregnant when I was in the youth group. Uh. I, uh, my marriage broke up, you know, um, I was sexually abused um, and the terrible trauma that those people have been through, the shaming, the rejection, you know, the stories can be very, very similar. And um, that's why I get a lot of readers, you know, that are heterosexual. And I get readers who are, um, you know, heterosexual and, and non-Christian. Mm. And, they, and they say, oh, my God, I so relate to your story because essentially it's a story about being true to yourself. And every one of us have pressures upon us and, con- and conditioning to that that we need to work through, even fight against at times to go, no, this is really who I am. And that can be a lifetime journey. I'm very grateful, Conrad, 
for the space that I'm in today and the life that I live. And I feel like I'm doing something of real value. As I mentioned before, every morning when I get up, I know I'm going to be doing something just going to make a difference to one or several or many lives. Mm. So I should be around for a while. Mm. You, you, um, you, you brought up a thought, a question that I had, um, that I forgot to ask you throughout your life. There was this desire that I guess in a way you're talking about now as well. Like you want to help people and, and contribute to good in the world. And as you're going through your life, you wanted to be a pastor. You wanted to be a preacher. This is the life you wanted to do good for God or bring people to God and do these sorts of things. What was that drive for you? Was it, was there anything caught up? Was the drive to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to be, I guess, in like as close to God as you can get? What was, what was, was there anything wrapped up in that drive? Was it the drive to just make a difference in people's life? Was it a drive to finally be acceptable to God? Was it a drive to do enough right things? What what was that consistent drive to, I guess, always occupy the preacher space up until sort of you left that? Um, as a good Adventist, you would know your Bible. <laughs> uh, you can quiz me and I'll see how it goes. <laughs> And there's a verse that says that the gift of calling of God is irrevocable or without repentance. So, yeah, so um, as I look back at, at my life, um, when I was um, in primary school, I used to go around the neighbourhood and visit all the old ladies and sit and have cups of tea with them. <laughs> Um, weird thing for a, a little kid to be doing, but, you know, I, I loved it and I did it, you know. Um, when I became a Christian, I felt that um, my life should be given back in gratitude as, a, as an act of service. Hmm. Um, when I resigned from the ministry, I was lost for a few years because... I didn't know, what, what do I do with my life now? And I actually had planned to commit suicide at 50 because I thought, I don't want to be a lonely old gay man. You know, I just, that sounds horrific now, but that's that was my mentality. And I, I didn't know whether I was going to go to heaven or hell, um, but I just didn't want to be around anymore. Um, and then something changed. And so now I still, uh, I guess some people could go, I think he's still an evangelist. <laughs> mm. I think he's still a preacher. I think that that thing with his gifting is still in operation today. Mm-hmm. And maybe, uh, and you can interpret that as being just a natural gifting, a combination of skills and qualities. Or you can say, well, obviously, um, there's been a plan and a purpose in your life. And this is the ultimate fulfillment of it. So the form it took for you to serve God or to help others for a long time, it was being a pastor was the epitome of that. If you're a pastor, that's what you're doing. You're working directly for God because you get the title. 
but it sounds like that scope has now expanded to include a whole lot of other things. And so that same drive that was consistent there, you would say is still operating for you now. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's still there. It drives me every day. I, I, I know, uh, I, I know what I'm meant to do every day. Uh, 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 there's different ways you can look at your life purpose. I think you can look at a purpose as this is something that's God ordained and you just got to find it and obey it. Or you can go, well, um, this is the purpose that I choose in life. Um, I'm going to make that personal choice. Um, and so there's different ways of looking at that. And um, I don't need to attach myself to a particular belief. Um, I just need to do it. <laughs> And, and and people can believe whatever they want to believe about that, but you know, and and of course, recently, you know, the amazing thing was that um, I was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia for service to the LGBT community, like mm. WTF, like <laughs> I, I, I just uh, see this need and helping yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. uh, and there are people alive today because of that, which is incredibly humbling, rewarding, touching. Yeah, it's 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 quite profound when you you know you've had that level of impact on on not just one individual but many individuals. Mm. Can, can I can I read you something? Yeah, yeah. So um, when I um, sent this person, his name was Matt, and he was in the US, and um, sent him that little thing. So yeah, tell me, uh, why did you want to become friends? And he said, he said, I just wanted you to know that you are an inspiration to me. Reading a life of unlearning assisted my mental health and acceptance for myself in a tangible tangible way. I used to be on six antipsychotic drugs and now I'm only on one mild antidepressant. Thank you. It truly did help. I've always been taught that God hates me. I made a lot of friends in conversion therapy. Out of 40, only six are still alive. One died naturally, the rest suicide. Your book gave me hope and let me see a true Christ. This is basically, I did informal programs with pastors, read awful books. Then I did a six-week camp, Love Wins program with Exodus. Basically, there were times between me, uh, between 40 and 30 that I tried to rid myself of being gay. When I turned 30, I settled into the futility of those efforts. Around 32, 33, I became happy being gay. I'm now 34. Half of my life does seem wasted. Um, I used to be a pastor in an evangelical church. However, after being a victim of two hate crimes, two months I was fired and defrocked. I am a homosexual. During my ministry, I practiced celibacy to meet the requirements. Um, Now he is full-time in the ministry and serving God. And, you know, so amazing stories like that. Just, you just tell your story and mm. people's lives are changed, you know, 
he's, he's off all that medication he was on and he's now living a, a powerful life. But, you know, how tragic that 40 of his friends and his six is, yeah. And this is why we need to have legislation to wake people up about the harm that's been caused to individuals. Because mm-hmm. there's those common threads, I guess, that pull through that I've mentioned before of here are people, here are their stories, here are... It's... And that's why I think you're like as as shocking to hear that person's experience, but also hopeful to hear that person's experience at, at the exact same time. The thing that I'm hearing is that the vulnerability of you sharing your life's journey, which if you read the book, like I was just similar to hearing that email just just the sadness and the and the shock to hear people go through this stuff i can't i actually can't imagine and reading your story you bring me into this this ability to go or oh, that's that's what it's like to be you as you as you are vulnerable with your story and you and you share your story um and uh, i think that's the very non-controversial idea that people can can really resonate with, as you say, if we connect on that level, if we're open and honest and and it is a vulnerable space to enter into that human connection going, you are connecting humanly with people through this book that you've written of your life story that people read and connect with. And then they reach out and connect with you because they've already connected with you as they read this story and, and it can change them. And I suppose that's the work you're doing and at the top of the show you're saying the the battle is is ignorance and it sounds like you're pushing against the ignorance of other humans stories and here are a whole large group of humanity whose stories will break your heart as they talk about what it's like for them to to move through the world and when people might because you might encounter this this perspective. And as I I had friend of the show, maybe friend of the show, I don't know, he hasn't gotten back to me since, but uh, a bloke called Lyle Shelton, uh, Queensland, a previous director of the Australian Christian Lobby, did a great interview with him, lost half of it, tried to reach out again to, to get him back on. <laughs> haven't, hasn't, haven't made contact again. Um, but that was an interesting conversation. And, and people like him would say to you, Okay, I understand what you're talking about. But what about the family unit? I understand, you know, like these people who are, who are struggling, but what about my oppression as being now like discriminated against, being called a bigot, being cast to the side, and I'm just fighting for the family unit because that's the bedrock of our modern society. What it, and, and what you stand for is going to break apart the family unit. It's going to leave children without a male and a female influence in their upbringings. And what do you, and I, and it's very jilting and, and quite a shock to put this next to what you're talking about. 
But I really, in a way, want to do that because this is the discussion. But it's never this right next to each other. It's never, here is my lived experience of trauma and then the other side saying, yeah, but I feel oppressed too and I'm fighting for something I believe in, which is the family unit. What's what's your response to to that pushback that might be all too immediately after somebody sharing their traumatic experiences? Um, I'm always happy to have conversations with pastors, church leaders, individual churches. This is this is what we do. We do it confidentially. We do it behind the scenes. We do it respectfully. We do it with openness and honesty. We do it with integrity. And, you know, what I always say, Conrad, is no conversation about us without us. And the church has done a lot of talking about us. Um, But, you know, for them it's about beliefs. But for us it's about our lives. And that's the huge difference. And by sitting down and having conversations with LGBT people, you know, particularly that's the work that we do with Abbey Ambassadors and Bridge Builders International, is that those conversations can be had in a safe space. And out of that, they can learn, you know, and, and you know, that, yes, I understand where you're coming from and I understand your biblical concepts around the family. The reality today is, you know, like <laughs> I remember there was a, a preacher at Hillsong one time, um, you know, carrying on about how bad the show Modern Family was. My daughter was sitting in the congregation. Her mother has remarried. Her father is gay. She was married and she's, you know, she married a man and had stepchildren. So here's this preacher going on and on and on about this is God's ordained. We are living in the 21st century. <laughs> Things are not like that, that anymore. We've moved past a feudal system and there's all different, there's solo parents, there's people divorced, there's stepdads, there's stepmothers, there's all these things. We all need to be supported. And what about the poor kids in the same-sex relationships that are being told there's something wrong with them or that they will never grow up normal? By the concern, how painful is that? How hurtful is that? How unchristlike is that? How uneducated is that? Mm. And so we need to come together and sit down at the table and have some some really genuine, serious conversations. And that's what we do. And and you know, I can tell you, there's been some great successes when people are willing to do that. Some people aren't willing to, Conrad. Mm. Some people, well, I can't do anything about that. But, but, you know, there will be pastors, church leaders um, out there listening even to this, this podcast today who've got some questions. Email me. Honestly, you know, I'm lovely. <laughs> I agree. I think so too. You'll, you'll, you'll find that we'll have a very, very respectful and important conversation. And who knows, you may be helped through that. And I think... Everybody can get on board with that idea of conversations in respect, connecting, trying to understand people's perspectives. And 
if people want to connect with you, Anthony, what's the best way to do that? If they want to get your book and have a look, what's the, I'll put some stuff in the show notes, but where can people uh, make contact? Okay. So I, I like that I'm learning that it's up to the third edition now, the first two sold out. <laughs> um, and uh, so you can get that on any online um, e-tailer, you know, so Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all that. The, um, the only place you get it as a Kindle, as an e-book is on Amazon, but all the rest you can get it on paper, paperback. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the best way to get in contact with me is um, just send an email to info at abby, A-double-B-I dot org. So, yeah, uh, up there. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's somewhere there, there, there. Um, yeah, so send an uh, info at abby.org.au um, and just put attention, Anthony, and um, I will definitely, I have received thousands of emails and there's not one I'm not responded to for readers mm-hmm. of a life of unlearning and, yeah, and everything. Mm-hmm. So we will make sure that we, and it might just be, I, I've written so much over the years, not just, of course, the book, but there's lots of the blogs. So it might just be that I can send you a link to an article which will answer your questions, mm-hmm. like the gay agenda, the gay lifestyle, situational heterosexuality. And Willie's in Bottoms, I think you might uh, yeah. have a few readers <laughs> of that <laughs> article. <laughs> well, yeah. if, if, you are, if you are still here listening after two hours... I oh thank Anthony for taking so much time. I, I thought I knew this one would be a long one, so I kind of really wanted to dig into it. Um, if you're still here after two hours and you disagree or are skeptical and you're like, listen, uh, but if you're still here, send me a message on Instagram and say, I'm at it two hours. I didn't agree with anything I just heard. And I will send you an emoji medal. It'll be a little medal. It'll be like, kudos to you. Special medal of honor. You're on the, you're in the wall of fame. Cause that's the point. It's very difficult to listen to a perspective that might challenge you that you might not be familiar with. Um, but if you're still here, then, uh, Congratulations, and you're part of the Ideas Digest practice already. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode and agreed with everything, I'll send you a bronze medal, I guess, because it's like it's it's. It, I'm glad you're here, but it is easier to listen to perspectives that we do understand and and do see eye to eye on. So, uh, if you have any show suggestions and ideas, then send them through to me on Instagram at Ideas Digest. Emails Ideas Digest at gmail.com. Anthony, thank you so much for taking so much time. I mean, a lot of time to, to chat with me and work through just all these different uh, questions that, I, that I've had. So thank you so much for being, I guess, being open, honest and vulnerable as well. I really appreciate conversations that I can have when people, you know, some conversations we talk about ideas, but I've really appreciated you bringing in your journey. It takes a certain amount of vulnerability to go. And here's been my experience. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you, Conrad. And thank you to all the people which have taken the time to listen for 10 minutes for an hour or for two hours or whatever. I'll come back to it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into Ideas Digest and I will catch you all in the next episode.